0: Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 108, and we're calling this the Nor'wester Experience. We're gonna slow things down a bit from the breakneck pace of stage rally, and instead, chat about a TSD rally. In this episode, I spoke with Rainier Autosports Club route master Ron Sorum about the Nor'wester, its history, and how they choose such awesome roads to go rallying on. And then also give a bit of an audio diary I recorded from competing in my first ever TSD. So grab a seat or your wrench, as I know most of you tend to listen to this while you're working on your cars, and join us for another round of the virtual rally pub we call The Rallycast. Hello, I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and it's been a few weeks since our last episode. Been head down working on stuff for the Oregon Trail Rally, which uh, I'm super excited. We've got 75 entries, um, actually more than that, but we had 75 as our cap, but we have a waiting list. So it's really cool to see that so many are interested in competing, even though it's in November. A few changes because of that time. Most of the stage will be familiar to everyone, but uh, I'm really excited for competitors to see a brand new stage, uh, the Great Horseshoe that we used in the Mike Nagel Rally. I think they're going to really love that one. It's pretty cool. We've got some other kind of changes we're doing for the fact that it's in November. You know, short daylight, so we're actually offering two days of recce, which is really kind of cool. We haven't really done that before. And just please, people don't be stupid on recce. Haven't we seen enough? Really? We're giving you two days. Be patient. Uh, if you really need to see everything that detailed, take your time. You- you've got it now. Let's so Other stuff that we've got is uh, we got a new park expose in downtown uh, historic Goldendale. So they're really happy to have us. Love having the support of the city. Um, that's so meaningful for us as a event because, you know, you, you end up having to interact with the locals a little more, and then they end up liking your event usually. So, love having that. Park Exposé is also a little earlier. It's from 8 to 9 a.m. instead of 9 to 10, like we typically do it on uh, Saturday and Sunday. That's because of the fact we don't have as much daylight. What's gonna be really interesting, though, is how many folks are going to arrive an hour early on accident on Sunday's Park Exposé because the time change is actually Saturday night. So, that'll be kind of fun to find out. Anyway, if you're going to be here in the Pacific Northwest and you're listening to this, I really hope that you uh, come on down and see the Oregon Trail Rally. It should be a really fun event. we got some great spectator areas, and if you're a volunteer, even better. Love having you volunteers. Enough about our upcoming event. We've got a lot of Norwester chat right after this. (coughs) This is Alex and Rhiannon Gelsomino from Oz Pro, Advanced Rally Training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email OzRallyPro at gmail.com for further details. Well, we welcome onto the show Ron Sorum. Ron, welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast. Thanks for taking the time to be part of my uh, Nor'wester Experience <laughs> podcast I'm doing here. All
1: right. Thanks, Mike.
0: Now, I mostly know you as the driver of the Double Zero Car with Team Fagawi. You've obviously been involved in rallying for a long time. How did you get started in rallying?
1: I had a college roommate that said that this was something kind of fun. And that was 1968, and I've been at it ever since. Wow, you got bit by the rally bug pretty hard, really early. (laughs) Yeah, well, I got in pretty deep, and actually it turned out to be the least expensive of my uh, motoring habits at the time. So it worked out quite well and uh, had a lot of fun back in the day.
0: Well, it seems like you're having quite a bit of fun now, but you do a lot of work. So for for this event, the Norwester that I've been talking about, you're, you're the route master for this, is that right? That's correct, yes. And of course, you're doing this with the Rainier Auto Club, and Rainier Auto Club goes back quite a ways as well when it comes to organizing events, doesn't it?
1: Rainier Auto Sports Club, to get it right. And we're still trying to determine the exact origins but somewhere before 1967. And it goes back even a little bit further than that, but we can't, so far, have not been able to pin down the the origins. Fortunately, anybody that knew anything about it has passed on. And it was a member of the Northwest Rally Council, had events on the calendar prior to 1967. And of course, our involvement at the moment is the Nor'wester Rally, first came on the scene in 1967. So that's our since 1967 tagline at the moment. So
0: has the Norwester been run every year since then?
1: No, it ran every year into the mid 70s. And at that point, 1973, of course, started SCCA Pro Rally. Right. It became a stage event in the inaugural year. So 73, 4, five, maybe 76, it was a stage event, and then it disappeared for a while, came back in the late 80s for one try, and then it was revived in 1997 for an anniversary event, and that went over into eastern Washington and to Idaho, three full days of TSD rally. And then it came back as a alternate event based on our Alcan rally. The 2005 event took place in uh, Washington, British Columbia, and Vancouver Island. Finished at uh, Victoria on Vi- on Vancouver Island and it t- involved an overnight ferry ride from Bella Coola to Port Hardy. Oh, wow. Get off the ferry. It is now a 12-hour ride. It was, at that time, a 23-hour ferry ride. They've since improved the vessels, and they've also uh, shortened some of the side trips that it took. But you got on at 7 in the morning. You got off at 6 the next morning and continued to rally down the island uh, for about a 6 o'clock finish on Sunday night. So that was quite the adventure. The 45th anniversary we did... And the 50th anniversary we did for 2017. We did another 2019. The club decided that waiting five years was too much for Norwester. Waiting a gap much longer was far too much. So we decided within the club that the Rainier's uh, No Alibi Rally and Norwester Rally would alternate years. That plan kind of fell through. Due to COVID. Yeah. So 2020, no alibi did not happen. And uh, we managed to get the 2021 Norwester to be able to go places and uh, be with people and looking forward to 2022, no alibi. So those are our big events. No alibi, Norwester, of course, Alcan 5000 and Alcan Winter Rally. We also have Raindrop, which is a Sunday five-hour morning into afternoon rally, kind of novice-based, great for anybody, carload with kids in the back and everything else. So it's a a low-key learning event for TSD rallying. And the
0: raindrop, is that something that's just run regularly? Is that just an annual one or what?
1: Uh, We try to do it just prior to May 1st, so the last weekend of April, first weekend of May, Every year, and that's been going on for quite some time.
0: Oh, that's great. And of course, you're based up in that uh, Seattle area, at least where the, the rallies tend to start, right?
1: Right. Well, you saw this Norwester started in Kirkland. That's uh, because it was originally going to be a short Alcan version. So the start uh, was in the same place that we do Alcan. This year's Norwester was also a test of the new Richter rally checkpoint system. Right. We intend to use that for Alcan, but we wanted to put on a good test, Sure, make sure it met our needs and it met the competitors' needs. And of course, as you experienced, there was it was not 100% trouble-free, but some of those things are expected with a new system and the organizers are learning the system as much as the competitors are learning the system.
0: Exactly. I'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, I I did want to rewind the clock a little bit, though, because, again, you're the route master for this. How many of the Norwesters did you do yourself as a competitor before you became an organizer of the things?
1: I'm going to guess, I think, probably four. And then in the late 70s, I got out of stage rally competition and went into stage rally organizing and TSD organizing, and didn't get back into stage rally until 99-2000 season, and wadded up a car, started over, uh, you know, things like that. Ran out of money, went back to TSD rallying. I think my son and I did 23 events in one year. Wow. We managed to pick up the Pacific Coast Challenge Championship for Washington, Oregon, and, and BC one year. And we came first in the BC Rally Championship one year. So a lot of events, Norwester, I was asked to help organize early on. So in recent years, since 2012, I've been in the organizing side. 2017, 2019, and 2021, I wrote the route. That took some time. Had a lot of help, it's a team effort. Some of the people on Team Figali are my helpers for TSD rallies as well. It's a family thing.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> noticed that. How is it that you decide on these roads? I mean, these are fantastic places uh, that we get to go visit. But are you just like, you know, looking on Google Maps? Is it past experience? Do you just go on road trips and like, hey, this looks kind of neat?
1: Actually, a lot of all three of those things. <laughs> Most of the time, it starts with the brief sketch of an idea on some roads that I've seen on a map book, like the Delorme Gazetteer or the Benchmark map books that have 40 pages of fairly detailed maps in them. Looking for the little tiny red roads, and the more jagged or twisted the road is, the more I like it. So look and see if it, if it makes a loop. Uh, a lot of rallies, that's not a primary concern. If there's 20 miles of a dead end, they might drive 20 miles and wait for a few minutes and turn around and drive back the same thing. I prefer a loop and you don't have, you don't have people waiting around. Northwest, you might be waiting around in the rain and the snow. Right. We were very fortunate with weather this weekend that it was a nice weekend, not too hot blue skies, everybody had a good time, and unbridled success, I think you'd say. So then I go on to Google Earth, and I do a preliminary check of the, let's say, the character of the road. Uh, A map doesn't tell you whether it's a two-track or a single-lane gravel or dirt or anything like that. It just says it's a road. Satellite view can get you down pretty close, and you can read the rocks in the road and if it looks like it's washed out here and there then i probably ignore it Uh, we may think that it's good enough to go look at at some point in time and that comes into the road trip aspect of it either with my wife or with my navigator or we'll go out and take a look just have a, a day in the woods so yeah you put a lot of miles on a car
0: yeah you do <laughs> This was a 600 mile uh, event this year, and as you talked about years past, it, it it's been even longer. One thing that kind of stood out to me is that you know you as organizers really take the time to put in some of the history and you know on a longer transit to take in the sites and you record some of that history into the route book. So we kind of know what we're looking at and what we're passing through. And let me tell you, you know, going through that North Cascades, I've never been through there. (laughs) I I now have a place I want to spend some time with my wife and go through there again, you know?
1: You know, we always think that a, a rally gets you to places that you normally wouldn't go to. You would drive past it on the highway, not drive through the orchards and the wheat fields on the back roads and we see a lot of things you know we've seen a lot of near ghost towns this weekend we saw a couple of places where they've uh, kept up the western town spirit let's say we got a chance to drive through leavenworth take in some of their october for good or bad <laughs> a few people were late because of the traffic but uh, that was somewhat unexpected the back roads uh, that we travel it's a, it's a sightseeing trip with a bunch of your friends. And that's the way I like to look at it.
0: Guy put it as, it's your road trip that you love to do to go explore with some competition intertwined in there.
1: Yeah, something to hold your interest. The different rally masters, different people who write the route books and that sort of thing will keep it clinical. I like to have some information in there to read on the transit And hopefully the navigator reads it to the driver as they're going along. This particular instance, we knew we were going to have some time. There could be a traffic issue. Fortunately, the direction we were going, there wasn't a big traffic issue on uh, the North Cascades Highway. So there were places that were worthy of stopping off and looking at. And I put in a good-sized pause at that point, get out walk around, you know, use the restroom. seems like everybody took pictures. Mm-hmm. It was well-received, and, you know, as, as we went through setting it up, we did just exactly the same thing. Oh, this will be a great place to stop, put that in. So I try to find what I can, uh, little snippets of information and, and history. No Alibi is pretty good at that as well. If you're going through a um, pioneer town, in eastern Washington, they may give you a little snippet of history about that town. It's not just a grind to get through the day. It should be competitive, but it should be relaxing as well. You shouldn't come in ringing wet and completely stressed out. I'd like to commit it that way.
0: Yeah, it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Having that extra detail, that extra bit of information, you know, to just kind of get a lay of the land and, and understand the history and stuff. I, I, I found it really intriguing and just makes me want to go back and visit those as a future time. You know, many a road trip my wife and I have taken, it's we find an alternate way home and it's really like start making, you know, little notes of, okay, future visit in this area because we're just kind of passing by it on our way home. These will be designated spots we spend more time in the future.
1: Well, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what we do as well. My wife and I started rallying uh well we were rallying before we got married we got married and we're still rallying i guess it worked out
0: (laughs) i'd say so i still got to figure out how to get my wife in the right seat or maybe in the driver's seat whichever she'd like to do better i think that would be pretty fun so i guess in this route master position you figure out the route what kind of comes next how how do then you lay out the rest of it is that where the whole team gets together and starts actually driving it
1: the Route master and the rally master. In this case, my rally partner Jim Brazil took on the rally master title. We look at the route. Might be some emailed routes back and forth. Maybe some map maps back and forth. You mentioned earlier some of it from memory. Could very well be that uh, one or the other of the individuals has been on that road in the past and said, "Oh yeah, that was great." We should see if we can do it uh, northbound instead of southbound, something like that. Those come up. I look at the time involvement, how much distance between fuel stops. Now that we're all paying closer attention to rest stops, take that into consideration as well. (laughs) So you look at that. You look at whether you're going to be having lunch at a particular location. Is there some place to have lunch? I'm not too fond of eating while you're driving. But a short rest stop, 20-minute lunch break or 30-minute lunch break will give you a chance to take care of the fuel in the car and cleaning the windshield and sitting off in the shade somewhere and relaxing for a couple of minutes and then back on the road. So then you look at the time aspect of it. You have to look at the speed limits. You look at, in some cases, a county will have a minimum speed limit. They will assign a limit for all of the gravel roads. In Okanagan County, there's a sign as you enter the county that says all gravel roads, speed limit 35 miles per hour, unless otherwise posted. Well, other counties, Douglas County, for example, they issue a speed map. Hmm. You can find it on their website. And every single road in the county is a different color code. There are a lot of 25 mile an hour speed limits, and most of our clientele and ourselves included, are not real fond of speed limit 25 mile an hour roads. We'd rather do 35 or 40 or 50. You found that uh, on Saturday afternoon, you had a lot of twisty back roads at 50 miles an hour. You're not squealing the tires, you're not exceeding the speed limit, you're not fighting traffic because there is no traffic, still you're getting quite a scenic route. You get onto gravel and we drop the speed down to 35 or below. A couple of places I always like to put in uh, quiet zones if you're going by somebody's house. If I lived out there, I wouldn't want people driving by my house at 50 miles an hour raising a dust cloud. Yeah. And that's preserving the fact that we we'll, might be able to use that road again next year or two years. Somebody comes through and really dusts them off, runs over a cat or a dog or something close. First call is to the sheriff. Second call comes to me. I want to make sure that people slow down, wave. You recall the Mike Nagel rally in Goldendale where the kids had the Lemonade stand. Wasn't
0: that fantastic?
1: Things like that. If we have a chance to talk to the farmer or the ranch house or whatever, and they've got a couple of kids and whatever, let them know that there'll be 25, 30 cars come past their house, more than they see in a month. Yeah. They can stand out there behind the fence and wave at everybody, and, you know, everybody in the car is going to wave back. So I'm fairly protective about speeds past farmhouses and residences in general.
0: Well, and it also adds a challenge, right? Because yeah. Because being a TSD, when you're trying to keep an average speed, if that average speed is, it never changes. Granted, yes, you got your hairpin corner, so you got, you got to slow down for that, got to compensate for that, and then you have to speed up a little bit as you're coming out of the corner for a little bit longer, then get back down, whatever. But then having a full speed change for, you know, maybe it's a quarter mile or whatever to get past this house, and then you speed up again, that is much harder to manage.
1: It's meant to be that way, in fact, because it's hard to maintain a slow speed, maybe harder than a close to unobtainable
0: speed. I have learned this. Yeah. <laughs> the last stage on Tarmac was by far one of the hardest, being the uh, twisty uh, Blewett Pass. Holy cow, that, that was nigh-on impossible, it felt, to maintain such a slow
1: speed. Just as hard to maintain a slow speed over a period of time as it is a a higher speed. And if that helps with the competitor versus local residences and that sort of thing, then, yeah, I'm going to continue to do that. Some people complain they don't like to change speed as often. I've taken that into consideration on some events some places you cannot find a 20 mile road with no house on it. So you're going to have to slow down for that. And so you noticed in the route book was a copy of the letter to law enforcement. Yes, sir. Every jurisdiction gets a letter, says, this is what we're going to be doing. It's not a race. My tagline at the end is we hope to see you out there, but hope it's for nothing else to wave and say hi. And that has served us well over the years. A couple of years back in eastern Oregon and Idaho, we had uh, county sheriffs that would uh, wave at the rally cars. Uh, you know, that's pretty uncommon, but I'd like to think that uh, Rainier Auto Sports Club has the reputation to deserve that. We had a sheriff stop and talk to a checkpoint crew uh, just sitting alongside the road, ask if they were okay and, Oh, yeah. Oh, you're with the rally. Oh, great. Yeah, I saw the letter. Good. Well, we'll keep an eye out for everybody. I don't think there's a better relationship can be had than to have the sheriff wave at you in a rally car.
0: Oh, certainly. Yeah, that's the best. For this event, we use the Richter app, but... TSDs used to be done a little bit differently, needing those uh, different checkpoint crews. Uh, I, I heard some interesting stories of people trying to hide and stuff like that, so folks wouldn't know what checkpoint <laughs> was <laughs> coming up.
1: Yeah, that's kind of a Rainier thing, a little bit of a BC thing as well. The idea of a TSD rally, given a set of instructions, you get a, a speed to average, and the idea is to be on time all the time. So theoretically, you could have a checkpoint anywhere. We've had some creative people that have laid in a ditch, I've had people sit in a piece of farm machinery, <laughs> time cars going past the gate, We've had people just simply laying in a field of alfalfa 10 feet off the road, and you cannot see them as you drive by. We don't have checkpoint signs on our passage control rallies. We have a fairly extensive group of people who will volunteer for checkpoint duty. That's their aspect of staying in rally. They no longer compete, but they still like to see all the people and see all the cars and travel the back roads. So we try to accommodate that as best we can. Our other type of rally is a regular Friday nighter in the Northwest, in Washington anyway, is a you stop at the control, get a handout slip, and you go to an outcone and await your out time. And that is similar to the SCCA Oregon plan, where you have a checkpoint, you then have a free zone, you have a restart, and you have another checkpoint, and a free zone, and another restart, on and on and on. We uh, kind of tighten that up a little bit. We have free zones for particular areas, but in general, you're rallying for some period of time We've been known to have TSDs, time sections that last an hour, and then a transit, and then another one, and another one. We want to go with the endurance rally aspect of the way Rainier started rallying. Back in the, in the 60s, 1967, 68, 69, Norwesters were 1,000 miles. Wow. Over three days. And we did have some all-nighters as well. I guess it's been our guide as, as people who develop routes. We look at things like that and try to get as many back roads and try to avoid forest fires. Uh, hard to do this year. Yeah. Every one of our staff cars this weekend had a route control in it. I had a box full of detour route instructions, mostly if the fire crews had closed the roads, but fires move mm-hmm. and things change. And we spend a lot of time on the internet looking at the fire lines and the restrictions and the road closures. There's a ton of work goes into behind the scenes, and hopefully it's seamless and when the the entrants show up, find the waiver sit through the driver's meeting and have some refreshments on the night before and get up in the morning and go have a nice road trip. And that's the plan. That's the way it happened this weekend. Knock on wood, I guess. That was the goal.
0: So what I was wondering, is, like during the event, yeah. what is it you're doing? Because I mean, you did all this planning and whatnot. And I know you were out there. We saw you at every one of the, uh, you know, end of day <laughs> Uh, you know, sections, but what is it that your specific role is once the rally starts as a route master?
1: Route master and the rally master, and when we have human checkpoints, we'll have the chief of controls, we'll all run the rally ahead of the competitors. If there's anything wrong, having gone through four or five levels of proofreading Uh, left came up when you should have turned right, things of that sort, Mm -hmm. we have to put somebody there to tell them, no, you're supposed to go this way, not that way. Make sure the roads are open. When we have checkpoint crews, make sure they're in the right spot, that their timing sight lines and such are correct. Generally just run ahead of the event and make certain that there are no flaws and no surprises for car one
0: and then there's also some folks that follow behind just in case there's trouble for folks right a
1: lot of rallies don't seem to worry about that we like to be a little more a little more caring and we have a sweep sometimes there are two and have a fast sweep that just goes through similar to stage rally mm-hmm. if there's somebody Parked alongside the road, and it's a quick jump start or something else. Then fast sweep can help them. Otherwise, they would just go on and follow the rally. When we have human checkpoints, the fast sweep will pick up the the time logs mm. for the checkpoint. Collect those uh, for the for the end. And then we have heavy sweep, and that uh, basically enough that could flat tow you out to civilization or something like that. Or if not, uh, at least, you know, particularly on a winter event, same situation up in BC, we're not going to leave anybody out in the winter. So we'll pile them into the car, take them into town. They can make arrangements for the tow truck or whatever needs to happen at that point. So we have staff at both ends of the rally, trying to keep everybody together, you know, make it enjoyable for everyone. Nobody likes to have two flats and only one spare, so right. occasionally that happens. Yeah, Most of us carry two spares.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about carrying a full-size spare uh, in addition to the donut that I've got, but uh, I was told that for this one specifically, it was probably going to be okay. I don't know. I was still a little nervous there for a while. Yeah, for the next one, I just might. You
1: noticed that some of your competitors had gravel tires, and some did not, as... Point of fact, none of the organizers had any kind of specialty tires. I just ran on summer tires. I ran on winters. No, it's fine. I think the concern with most people is getting a sharp rock on some of the gravel. Right. It just works its way through the tread. I was asked ahead of the event by some people who had entered what I felt about the gravel sections. I think they were all pretty smooth gravel had one section with some large rocks that just poked up out of the earth. Mm -hmm. But the gravel portion of it was smooth. We run into center chips up in Alaska, for example, that will eat up a tire in a few miles. I mean, you you can almost bet a summer tire going up the Dempster Highway will have one or two cuts through the tread. So they use some heavier tires Winter tires without studs are are a good option. They're not terribly noisy. They give you a little better ejection of little bits of rock and and things of that sort. We've found some cases where we have really long backwoods gravel sections. People will will run over nails and bits and pieces of a barbed wire fence or something like that, and quite a disappointment on a Saturday night after they've rolled up the sidewalks.
0: Yeah, right. Wake up the next morning to start the next, next stages, and hmm, that car's sitting lower than it should.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it has happened, that's for sure. <laughs> Particularly as an organizer, we all carry a second spare. You know, if, we, if we're out there to do a job as well as enjoy the scenery, but we really are doing a job to make sure everything is ready for everyone else. And if we have to limp back into town, that's not, not good form. But that's kind of the way Rainier does things, keep, keep track of the headers.
0: So with this event, we had the uh, Richter app that we're using. Like you said you're, in the beginning, you know we're testing it out. It's new for uh, uh, Rainier Autosports Club to use it, um, and you're planning for the Alcan 5000. I really enjoyed it. This is my first TSD, of course. The randomness, you have no idea when you're going to hit one of those checkpoints because it is all kind of automated in there. Uh, what did you think, I guess, of having this... Kind of blind thing. Yeah, we don't have the, I guess, the creative uh, hiding of course workers that are out there uh, trying to do checkpoints and whatnot. But it sure does allow for probably more checkpoints that you can do. It seemed like it was plenty interesting and fun to get, instant feedback, whether you're too fast or too slow. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some people might think that's cheating. I found it really enjoyable as a first-timer to really know if I was on pace, if we are doing some math. But yeah, what do you think of uh, of using this for the first time?
1: Well, not the first time I've used it. It's the first time we've done it as organizers. Ah. I've been on the competitor side at other events. The idea of having checkpoints without needing to park a car in somebody's driveway is a benefit. It was developed and it's being used in other parts of the country where there simply is not enough rally interest to generate a dozen checkpoint cars to put on a rally. So you can put on a a Richter rally with uh, a couple of staff vehicles opening and closing, or I guess, theoretically, you could do it even without. I think that would be pushing the limit a little bit. But that way you can have a bunch of checkpoints. One of the selling points is that people within your club can now run the event as opposed to having to work the event. That's a valid point. We had a couple of club members that entered the event. There are three basic ways to time the event. Our normal passage control starts at the beginning of a TSD and you accumulate time all the way through to the end of the TSD, having gone through several checkpoints. That is one method of timing with RIFTA. Another timing method is the SCCA format, where you are timed to a checkpoint and then it starts over at that checkpoint goes to another checkpoint, you don't know where it's going to be, starts over again, goes to another checkpoint, and each of those segments is a rally in of itself. And so you're only timed in that particular section or that piece of earth between checkpoint to checkpoint. That one has two options. One is a restart immediately and one is a restart 30 seconds later. Ah,
0: okay.
1: Well, Oregon does the SCCA type of rallying. The Bay Area in California used to do the SCCA type of rallying. They've since kind of fallen by the wayside. Not much rallying in California right now. Washington and British Columbia do true passage control rallies. If you calculate your time to be at a particular bridge, for example, you know the bridge is in the route book, you know the mileage for the bridge. You've calculated what second you're going to be at that bridge. Uh, in our system, uh, all of those calculations carry all the way through to the end of the section, and then you start anew at a transit, travel some distance, and start a new regularity a TSD section.
0: Well, I, I enjoyed it once I understood it and, and we figured it out. I, the reason why I like the way you did it is because f- from my standpoint, thinking from from a, as a competitor's, we're getting a little bit of an advantage with Richta, in that we get instant feedback with the old style, like you're talking about the passage control uh, folks doing checkpoints where people didn't see them, you know, they'd be recording it in a log, but the competitor didn't see that till their end of that TSD,
1: right? Not till the end of the day, in most cases.
0: And not to the end of the day. So even harder. Yeah. So in this case, we, since we do get instant feedback, might as well make it a little bit harder in some other way, which I think, like you're saying, making it where it's, uh, it's progressive, you know, through, throughout the whole TSD section. Uh, it's cumulative, that, that's a better word. I think adds to that challenge.
1: Well, we had some feedback. You get, as you go past the checkpoint, you get a, uh, a time slip. It rings up on your phone or your tablet or whatever you're using. And along with that, it has a critique that tells you, in this case, told you where the checkpoint was as a place in the geography, side road or fence post or cattle guard. It gave you the time, but it didn't give you much more detail. I'll do it a little bit differently next time around. You will get the actual mileage in the route book yeah. on the uh, checkpoint critique. When it pops up on your phone, it shows you the time and you swipe another screen there and it gives you all the detail. This time it did not have the mileage. Uh, if it had the mileage, you would have been able to tell if your ODO was off, if your factor was off, if your calculations were off. I can see that as a benefit. It wasn't a requirement. There wasn't really a space for it in the app. It's something that could be typed in, and I think that's, a, that's an improvement something that we'll be doing next time we use RICTA. So you get a a description, and then you will have an actual mileage as well. There are limitations to GPS technology. Yes.
0: Uh, How many meters the area is, right? The exactness can change.
1: Yes, it can. (laughs) If you noticed on your device, as you're driving along, the resolution could be down to a four meter circle. It could show up as 25 meters. Mm -hmm. Part of that depended on the GPS chip in your device. Part of it depended on whether you had pony up and buy an external antenna, Bluetooth it to your device, and it will give you better resolution and it'll uh, record much more often than your phone does, for example. I think the, the ideal way is that the driver has a phone running RICTA and the navigator has a phone or a tablet running RICTA, and one of them you just don't pay any attention to. Yeah. The other one, make sure you're not doing something else, you're not sending an email or a text, because all of that takes up energy and the attention span of your phone. It needs to be paying very close attention to Richter. We've all found that, particularly on the Subarus, your odometer might be right on the money, and the speedometer might be a percent or two different. After a while, that becomes second nature. You're doing a lot of math in your head that you don't really realize. In our class at the time, the back page of each route book had pencil and pen calculations on it to where it was nearly black
0: well i must say uh norwester gave me several stories (laughs) um and experiences that i never thought i'd have uh, more fun than i ever thought a tsd could be getting just three true 0.0 scores would have been enough as as a story for me but but now i gotta ask you you've been doing this a long time yeah I had one event and have a dozen stories myself. What's some of your favorite stories? Come on, you got to have a few.
1: Oh, I'd be hard-pressed to find one.
0: <laughs> Give us a taste, just a, just a, just a little taste.
1: We were on a time section, and several of the SOP cars stopped to take pictures of the burrows <laughs> in a time section, because frankly, we were enjoying the scenery much more than uh, we were concerned about getting a zero score. I've been on winter rallies where, well, we got stuck one time and spent four hours in the dark with a campfire to stay warm. Working checkpoints on events is is every bit as much fun as running the events. In a lot of cases.
0: Bovine chicanes.
1: The bovine chicanes, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could tell you about the bovine chicanes up in Canada. That's for sure. Uh, we have those all the time. Caution moose. Caution moose. Uh, we have uh, moose and caribou on the Alcan, obviously. In northeastern Washington, there's a fairly substantial moose herd as well. We've come upon moose on a rally in Washington before, but I'd say Pretty much that's uh, Canada and Alaska. Driving for four hours in a whiteout at 30 miles an hour, driving by the GPS because you can't see the fog line or the road, driving along and the GPS map says there's a hairpin ahead, and you slow down and find the guardrail for the hairpin. It's an adventure. It's always an adventure.
0: (laughs) I have to say, uh, it must be... um... Harkening back to the uh, the time with the burrows and and people stopping, taking pictures, where you had near the end of the Bill Shaw stage, which came through that gorge that was just a spectacular view, and on the timed section, you put in photo op.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it was accurate, and it was also a bit of a euphemism for don't go off here, it's a long ways to the river. And, you know, I'm not I'm not a mean rally master kind of guy. Uh, I'll tell you about the hairpins. Frankly, I don't want to get that phone call that says, hey, you know, so-and-so's car is off the edge.
0: Even knowing about the hairpin, it's it's still hard enough. I mean, <laughs> you don't need it to sneak up on you. Well, Ron, thanks for taking some time to chat with me and, and talk about this whole TSD thing. I, I think more people need to get into it. You know, I guess you could call me, quote-unquote, the younger crowd. Yeah. Um... It's interesting that not as many people are doing it. You know, we had, what, 14 of us, I think, like you said, that came out and did Norwester, and it's fairly affordable. I mean, if you're going to do a road trip, it's pretty cheap add-on to just a typical road trip, just doing it, like you said, with a bunch of your friends and uh, add some fun competition into it on roads you would never find on your own because of experienced folks like you finding them.
1: Yeah, well, I'm glad you had a good time. I would like to see more young people get involved. Uh, We've kind of debated what the reason may be, and I think a lot of it is attention span. Seems like you'd be hard-pressed to find young people in their 20s or earlier that would want to spend all day just driving somewhere. They would be good for an hour or two, and then they'd want to do something else. i think the key point for me is to try to hold your attention and keep it interesting and change the pace change the type of road the surface of the road i i think we covered just about everything except the autobahn (laughs) (laughs) and i can't do much about that but we're all limited to speed limits
0: yeah and you know that younger crowd with the short attention span, because they're used to being on the overly well-managed roads we have, the freeways and highways. The roads that you guys choose are so much more fun. You don't have time to get
1: by. I would guess the only highway section, if you want to call it that, was the US2 between Wenatchee and peshaston four-lane highway everything else was two lane highway even the long transit sections you were on what they would would have referred to as two lane blacktop yeah and that's really what we like to see yeah i mean
0: descending down the eastern side of that cascade pass that had some gorgeous views and canyons and yeah that was that was neat
1: well i'm glad you enjoyed it uh, i had a good time laying it out i had a good time putting it on great to be with everybody at the dinner and at the finish we hope everybody looks at it and comes back and we'll do it again next year for no alibi and in two years for norwester again
0: so what's next for ron Sormer? are you already uh planning out uh, no alibi now
1: <laughs> no other club members are doing no alibi i'll probably start in on some options for norwester uh, fairly soon uh you know with the stage rally work i've got something coming up that you know well in uh, November. Got another one hopefully in December right after that. We're kind of thinking about uh, putting on a weekend or a a long one-day winter rally that we haven't done in our club for years. And uh, that might happen in January or February. Uh, April, I'll probably be involved in either the route book or maybe developing a route for Raindrop. And uh, then in May, we'll head to uh, Alaska for Alcan survey, get back just in time to do No Alibi first weekend of June. And then uh, the rest of the summer schedule, Lewis and Clark Classic comes up. And then we go to Alaska on the Alcan 5000 for the rally itself. In the meantime, Olympus, Oregon Trail in May, Pacific Forest Rally again in the fall, Tour de Forest here, Big White Winter Rally. We
0: may turn that Mike Nago Regional Rally into an event that repeats in the fall as well or something. We're thinking about it.
1: Wouldn't that be neat? You know, we used to have Mount Hood. Yep. And it was a very well attended regional rally. Very low key pizza out of the back of a truck in the parking lot at a snow park mm-hmm. up on the mountain.
0: Uh, nothing fancy. I'd love to have those roads again, too. But
1: Everybody had a great time. I'd like to see the regional rally be a sister event to the National, one in the spring, one in the fall. Yep. Uh, we do that with Olympus and Tour de Forest. So. I'd like to see Oregon get into that. I agree. I'll be jumping in, doing whatever I can on those rallies too. So.
0: Oh, well, we appreciate all that you do, man. You, you put in a lot of hours and a lot of work for all this stuff. That's what I do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty fond of saying in our group, we wouldn't do it if we weren't having a good time. So that's the way I look at it.
0: Well, on that note, Thanks for taking all the time. Uh, believe it or not, we chatted for over an hour, sir. So <laughs> I <see that>. yeah. <laughs> lots of great conversation <laughs> about rallying, uh, TSDs in particular. But uh, yeah, we love all of this stuff, on-road, off-road, uh, just finding interesting places to go have fun with cars and your friends. Again, thanks for taking the time, Ron.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Mike. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now. 33 with
0: there's front corner. it got to slow down. Four. kind of. So, log number one for my first ever TSD rally. I'm going to be doing the Norwester, which is out of the Washington area. It's run, in, run by the uh, Rainier Rally Club, who many years ago were actually part of uh, when the WRC was here in the Pacific Northwest uh, with Olympus and all that stuff. So, many of those organizers are kind of part of it. And uh, they do lots of TSDs, that group. And this one is the Norwester. Apparently, it's been running every year, pretty much, since 1967 or something. So, good long while. And I'm going to be riding with one Mike Nagel. I'm heading to his place now. And Mike Nagel, you may recognize that name from the Mike Nagel Regional Rally we had here. He's one of the Oregon Trail Rally original organizers. Um, He's been, I think, the chair before. He's, of course, been a stage captain. He's kind of done a little bit of everything. And he's the one that invited me to come along and do this thing. So brand new for me and uh, many years of doing TSDs for him. So he entered us in a class called Seat of the Pants uh, in my research and looking this stuff up as I was preparing a little bit. That means it's pencil and paper. You don't have any rally computer or, you know, special um, odometer stuff uh, to, to track yourself. So we are using my car which is a 2005 Outback XT and the interesting thing there is that I have an analog speedometer and I know the speedometer is actually a little slow for what the actual time is meaning you know if I if I'm using like google maps or whatever I'll be going 65 and I'm actually going 60, you know, in in real speed. So it'll be interesting trying to learn uh, how to do the differences there. I'll be doing the driving and Mike will be doing the navigating. So as for preparing for today, just uh, packed up like you're going for any other road trip, you know, just put some extra tools in the car just in case I, you know, in case we need to change a tire or something like that. I made sure that I had something better than, uh, you know, a larger breaker bar kind of thing for the wheel nuts instead of having to deal with using, you know, what, what comes in the, back of the car which is kind of small and we're probably gonna pick up a floor jack shove it in the back too so just a little extra preparedness just in case other than that it's just using your everyday driver car of which I am hopefully uh, things will go well I'll do another update after I learn more about what we're doing later bye for now we are on our first transit to get to the first actual TSD stage we're now about 10 miles in from when we left the uh hotel coming up on our next checkpoint so just kind of learning all the checkpoint stuff here with mike and checking out uh, how close my odometer is and it's not too far off we just left kirkland washington and we're heading towards the whole monroe area and from there i don't know up in the mountains <laughs> should be fun stay on this highway till we hit the next mile marker thankfully this is just a what do you call it? A tour-type rally instead of the ones that have Tricky, trappy. tricky trappy. that's the term. Well, it's been interesting getting ready for this thing. Um, learning a lot. Talking to lots, of, lots of old guys that have been doing this for forever. And if there's, there's a, few a few younger folks, not too many, but a few. They all seem to show up late, the uh, younger people. <laughs> Alright, so we have actually started our first official TSD stage. But uh, we have a free zone at the beginning, so that means no it's plans. actually, there's no checkpoints. And the first stage with this one, which is really cool, they actually told us where every checkpoint is. From a learning standpoint, getting used to this Richter, um system, which uses your phone with GPS, it, it definitely gives you kind of a little bit of a chance to get used to the system over that first stage. So since we know every checkpoint, and right on time, 924 point, boom, zero first car, has now passed the first checkpoint now we're actually by the first checkpoint but not checked through it yet and because we have that free zone and we know where the checkpoint is we can actually get there early and just kind of stop and wait because we know what time we're supposed to go by it so we've i i I don't know if you'd call it cheating but it's really just understanding you know how the system works and so we're able to kind of get past there's all these pauses we had to do at a stoplight and for a stoplight and things like that so instead of dealing with all that Uh, Since Mike, my navigator here, is so experienced, we just blazed on ahead to where the checkpoint is and stopped just short of it, just wait a little bit, and uh, our official time to check through it is going to be at 933.39, so we'll uh, keep a close eye on the rally clock here, which is also on the app, and then I'll just get on the gas and pass through the checkpoint and hopefully get a zero, or very close to it. (laughs) What do we got after this, Mike?
2: we got a pause of 18 seconds and looking for a yield sign to start another free zone.
0: Oh, so there's a lot of freeze in the uh, first part of this one. Yep, yep.
2: Then we have another checkpoint which should come up at uh,
0: 13.9 miles. So actually there's a there's some pretty good mileage in between here because we're only at 4.7. Yep. There'll be some good gaps in here between those pauses and uh, whatnot.
2: So All right. the first checkpoint is at 9.33 and the second checkpoint is at 9.50. So we got 18, 17, 18 minutes before
0: the next checkpoint. That's log number three. There's our next car and he is on the minute, 9.26. The first one actually was a little early. He didn't add a minute to the zero time.
2: Yeah, this guy was supposed to go by at 39. He went by about 40 seconds.
0: Oh, right, at the second mark, right. And then minute wise though, he was on the right minute. Yeah, yeah. So he was one second off maybe. Yep. That's pretty damn good. That's what we're going to (laughs) do. Yeah, I better accelerate fast. Not only is the speedometer slow, I'm a little slow.
2: Well, (laughs) (laughs) no, I think you're doing fine. Your mind is thinking ahead about what you need to be accomplishing, and you're doing fine with that. It's just we didn't know how accurate your speedometer was. We now know.
0: So I was here with the, the first checkpoint. Well, first checkpoint was almost a freebie. We were just two seconds fast on that. Um, but we were just driving through it right after the free zone. Then we went to the uh, checkpoint that here. So the very next checkpoint that yep. we ended up going through, we were how many seconds slow? 27 seconds. 27 seconds slow. Right. And that was me just trying my best to stay on 34 miles per hour average. Um, there was also some pauses in there for stopping for traffic and stuff. Um, gosh, I almost wonder if we would've just left out those pauses and I kept that average speed, if it would've just worked. But the point is, we need to
2: be able to go the proper speed. Right. And the next time we were 13 seconds late,
0: the next time we were two seconds late, then we are three seconds fast, so and then the other we did thing, adjust. And then the other thing that I have to realize is, okay, you were too fast or too slow on that checkpoint, it zeros though at that point, and you're on time. You're again. on time again, right. So I gotta make sure I'm not trying to make up time between the next check, or, or which we won't know where it is from now on, which is doubly hard.
2: But if you continually be late, you're now going to be late for your next section start because it isn't going to adjust anything. It's for the section adjust. start, right. Right. but so, not for the checkpoint. Right. right, so if you had one minute before you were supposed to start and you've now been late for 30 seconds, you now only got 30 seconds before the next start. Next instruction
0: is at 7.2, so you got a ways to go. All right, now get serious. <laughs> now we don't know where the checkpoints will be. Now we're, we're coming up. On the Oso landslide. Oh, that's what's really cool about this. Yeah. So they actually put um, historical or local information into this into the notes for this. All right. We'll check in later. One note: set up Google Maps so you can see what your GPS speed is because speedometer in the car sucks. Odo is <laughs> very well. Odo's pretty close. If it's off by a tenth in the first, like, ten five miles. miles or ten, ten miles. miles, right, oh. and then it's two tenths off, and then, you know, so you got to do a little bit of adjustment. But we got a zero. Yeah. We got our for zero. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So our expected, based on our adjustments on the, the next instruction, is at 7.9, but we're going to do a 7.7 because I mistakenly didn't reset the Odo until two tenths later. Our estimates are correct. It should be in 1.2 miles. If road trips weren't stressful enough, (laughs) do a DSD. Checkpoint. And? 2.9 early. Slow
2: down
0: a little bit. Okay, there we go. So I was a little bit fast, two seconds. 2.9 Two point nine though, so we only got two points against yeah. us. If you we went three three seconds over, we got another point penalty. Got another point penalty. We're getting lucky on that part. <laughs> <laughs> Flirting with the edges. <laughs> seven point one. So at that instruction, it's just an observe and a reduced speed. It is not any. You stay on the same road.
2: Yeah, we're staying on the same road. Seven point seven. Change speed to thirty four at thirty five.
0: Speed limit sign. Seven point five. So it should be coming up that I should be able to see it. I see it, there's 7.6, and it looks like it will be at 7.7. So our estimates on the odometer is correct. And we cross at 7.7, going down to 34 miles per hour. 9.8 left at T. Pause, 18 seconds. Ooh, twisty turny, fun stuff now. Yep. I'm supposed to maintain this speed of There you go. This is where 34. it gets interesting. <laughs> so fast down here. Down to the creek bottom here. Now I gotta be careful. I'm going too fast. I went down that hill way too fast. Yeah. So now I'll slow down a little more to 32.
2: That's six. They're supposed to be three minutes ahead of us.
0: Yeah, they're way off here.
2: Left at T, pause 18 seconds. Okay. Checkpoint. We were early again by god dang two seconds. Okay, okay, you're doing good. Consistent. Yep. Starting clock, 18 seconds of pause. There's no traffic. Wait right here, wait right here. It's, Probably should uh, go early. Go. Yep. And we are doing 34. Still 34. Still. Yep. We've, we've gone past the 35. Yes. The next one is mar- uh, Marble Mount boat launch at 10.2. 10. 10. Oh, down the checkpoint.
0: Zero. Ha <laughs> ha, two zeros. Begin free zone. Okay, we just started the free zone now. Okay,
2: so pause 90 seconds, signal one lane
0: bridge. <laughs> and we have one of our uh, fellow competitors sitting right in front of us, except they're car six, so they're way off. They're three minutes off. So they probably had to put in an adjustment. Time allowance. Yeah. Time allowance, yeah. Come on, get out of the way, buddy. Okay, stop sign. Where Where do I go? <laughs> I'm trying to
2: figure it out. Looks like Rine a lot. zone at stop at 1117, yes, and 34 seconds, leaving here. Uh, go cross street. Right at stop. Speed limit here is 35 and free zone. Okay, so it goes Basically,
0: the- what happened was, is when we crossed over here and we turned right at that stop, or left at that stop, we started the transit essentially. Is that correct? Well, the transit started right at that stop sign.
2: Okay, so anyway, it goes the other way. We're supposed to leave at 1137, which is a whole
0: 20 minutes from now. So I guess that's one of the key things to remember, right? Is when you do go start reading ahead look at how many tenths that is whether yeah. you need to be worried or not right yeah. which is really like with stage rally pace notes is somebody's gotta always be telling you ahead right what's coming up next not what you're doing now but at the same time knowing where you are right now but also reading ahead is pretty complex but I can see how people can learn you know some stage rally type stuff even with this from a concept anyways yeah, so basically, we get dinged 13 seconds for that s- too early start. We get two two second too fast penalties as well. So that's 17 points. And then we had two zeros in there. Yeah. So 17 points on a stage. Penalties? 17 points penalty. Yep.
2: The thing we have for a section is 600. Oh, <laughs> well, we're well off of that. Thank you.
0: Yep. All right, Mr. Nagel, day one is almost complete. We're on the final transit to OMAC, Washington. How'd we do? Pretty damn
2: good. Uh, We had some misunderstanding about scoring procedure, but we'll do better tomorrow. But when we were on, we were
0: on. A couple more zeros in the book. We actually got not just a, a zero because it's less than a second. We got an actual 0.0 and that's that's pretty hard to do (laughs) that was pretty fun we got two of them and it was a ways in i mean it wasn't like it was like just you know four tenths of a mile into the stage and and it came up it was several miles in that was kind of cool
2: you were going along hitting one second late one second early one second late one second early you're bound to hit a zero you did
0: I did one pretty good mess-up, though. I, I wanted to take a picture of the scenery while we were driving with my damn phone, and I let off the gas too long and lost us six, six. seconds. But I brought most of it back. Yep. Ended up bringing us within, I think, one second in that one, next one. time. One, yep. Six seconds late and went to one second early. So that, that was pretty good making up for it. I think the biggest problem we had was not realizing that after each checkpoint that rings, you know, through on the phone... You're still it, late. You're still off. right. you're supposed to make up the time Um, instead of it resetting back to zero and it being just between checkpoints. It's cumulative from the start to the finish. So whatever error you have, you have to make it up for the next one. Yep. But there's still some odd irregularities that we couldn't figure out, such as there's pauses you're supposed to do after a stop sign. We pause for like the 18 seconds or whatever it was. We get to the next checkpoint and somehow we were 40 seconds off. And it made no sense at all. Like... Uh, unless I teleported my car faster, um, or drove ninety, <laughs> or we something. We weren't time, so it so makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, my t- my speed could have been off by a little bit, but the only thing that made sense to me is a few of the pauses maybe weren't recorded into what the times should have been. The so counts. in the calculations, yeah. So um, it'll be interesting to see what other people had uh, when it comes to that. But in general, um, beautiful scenery beautiful roads, uh, some interesting ways to get over to this eastern part of Washington that you'd never think to explore. So it was pretty cool. We never got lost, missed a couple of turns, but
2: turned around immediately and corrected. So yeah.
0: There was that missed turn, that's right. <laughs> yeah, there, there was the one where we were going on the uh, the first of the, I think, uh, of the dirt, no, second dirt stage. We went back to tarmac, then back to dirt, and uh, we had somebody it up to behind us and we were paying too much attention to them. Instead of bearing left, we stayed and went right, had to back up. Oops. But, you know what? All in all, a good time, learned a lot. Can't wait for tomorrow. We're now on our second transit. There was a transit to the start. We've done our first competitive stage of the day, and pluses and minuses, we got two effective zeros. That's damn good. But then on a slower section, I was too fast by four seconds, overcompensated. Then it was 16 seconds too slow. So then I'm like, ah, oh, crap, it was a 48 mile an hour average I was ma- to maintain. So I'm like, I got to make up 16 seconds. I got to go fast. Apparently I went way fast for too long. It is really hard to judge because you don't know when the next checkpoint's going to hit. Yeah, it's going to be all... Random, you know, from the app, it's just somewhere in there and doesn't warn you. So, by the time I slowed down and got back to the 48 average, then I was what 20 seconds early. But by the time we ended the stage, we were back within six seconds. Yeah, so we manipulated one of the pauses in a way to give us uh to to take more time away and to get us back on track. And so, bottom line, don't (laughs) overcompensate. Yeah, well, and a little seems to make up a lot. I, I really thought. Because I'm used to just the short, fast stages of stage rally that, you know, a car to be 16 seconds low, my God, he's, you'd have to go really fast. And with the mileage that we're doing, a little bit of mileage change makes a huge difference. But lots of fun. We'll be back with more later. All right, Mr. Nagel, it is currently, it's almost noon. We're on our big transit down Highway 97. After doing three stages, I believe, right? Three irregularities? Yeah, I think so. So, this last
2: stage, we did have the camera running, which means Mike was going off of his speedo
0: on his car. Analog speedometer only. Yeah. And having to compensate for knowing from previous runs that it was a little slow in places. So, we ran
2: the whole stage, bouncing a second or two, earlier late, earlier late. Very consistent all the way through. First score was the last one at the end, and it was seven seconds off. But most of the time,
0: we were two or three, one way or the other. So, from your experience, how good is that for this sport? Well, I always
2: run SOP. So, used to be, I would get my feedback when I come to a, a physical stop checkpoint, and they would hand me a slip of paper. But now that we got checkpoints on the fly going down the road instead of one or two checkpoints within a 20 mile section we've got eight nine ten checkpoints and we get feedback immediately so we know what to do to compensate so it makes it a little easier in that respect it does i mean the, the really sharp guys are complaining about uh they're not it's not accurate enough because of the GPS uh, window of when it checks people in and can be a second or so off. And they're used to running zeros and one second errors. so They have a little bit of a complaint about it, but I think it's the
0: future. You know, I, I think it can be A, you don't need as many workers. Although there was some great stories last night at the dinner about uh, the the people that would do the checkpoints in places where you wouldn't see them. they Hide their car somewhere so you wouldn't see it. They, you know, so you'd get a checkpoint, not knowing where the person was until after you passed. You'd see it like in the rearview mirror, hide behind a tree. <laughs> That's a passage
2: control. You don't even stop at them, but you want to be ready for a checkpoint when you think it's going to be there. Right. If you can't see it, then you can't. <laughs> you can't get that last second of air out of your car. You know you're supposed to arrive at a certain time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's, those are the ones are just the passages, and uh, which is kind of like what we're doing here with the electronic thing. It's just the random, you don't know where it's going to be, there's a checkpoint, and they get you. <laughs> yeah. um, just a different way they used to do it. Now, let's talk a little bit about what we learned last night about the difference in the rules. We, we talked about it a little bit yesterday because our times were so far off, and we now knew how to compensate. So uh, the basics that I get is the system of Richter we're using right now and how the organizers set this one up, it is a cumulative time, meaning that if I go through a checkpoint and it says I'm six seconds slow, I need to make up six seconds before then whenever that next checkpoint is, right? Correct. Right. But yesterday we were going off of uh, what you had last done RICTA with, which was a rally organized by Monty Sager, and Sager's rules were a little different. Yes, uh, it,
2: apparently the rally master can load the information into RICTA in apparently three different ways. And one of which is you can zero out any error you accumulate at a checkpoint and you're back on time after that checkpoint. And but today we're going you don't it doesn't zero out after the checkpoint. You still have that air and you have to compensate and you don't get relief until the end of the section. Then you right. back on. then they, it starts zero again for the next right. section. You right. start off the next section on your proper time. Obviously, if you were three minutes late going down the road in a section, you came to the start of the next section, and you only had one minute for you're supposed to go. You're obviously still two
0: minutes late, so you may have to take another time deck. But well, so I guess that's the difference here, right? Is in the way that Sager did it. It was almost like he was doing built-in time deck. Yeah, yeah, making it a little bit easier. So you so you get an
2: error, and okay, you took that penalty, but now you're back on time again,
0: so. And the know. term time deck, so time declaration? Is that yes, what it's for? yeah declaration. Okay, correct. and we ran into this because yesterday we had that craziness with the truck, backing people up and things like that, and all the cars are were pulling over. So this app, this Richter thing, has the ability for you to put in a manual time deck. And I think what they were doing is they were waiting for this guy in this truck to get all the way to the end of the stage and trying to just think up, oh, they, they by the time he f- gets there, it's going to be two or three minutes. They know they're coming on the guy, so they
2: threw it in a time deck and stop for that period so the guy will get ahead of them and get away, and they can continue on. But the problem is that there was a rally car within a minute behind them that is now coming up on their butt, and the more time deck they take, the more chance that everybody else has to take a time deck to maintain a gap between the rally cars. This guy was making a total mess of that stage. I think they probably should have thrown the stage, but they didn't.
0: Yeah. At least this point they haven't. But yeah, they should. So, so But that is an example of the purpose of the time deck. And then Again, what we could do is if we found out they were way off, because there's a safety aspect to this too, right? We're on these public roads. We're going at supposedly public speeds for the most part. But if you're trying to make up 30 seconds, you might drive way too fast for what's legal out there, and that, that's not good. So that's a good example of where you can manually put in that time deck to get that time back, right? Right. If you go number. by a
2: checkpoint and you find out that you were cute waterfall, that's a waterfall. 36 seconds late, you can put in a 30-second time, ha- uh, time allowance, which now makes you only six seconds late, which you can make up, you know, driving it a little bit faster.
0: Now we know how we can handle that. If we have to, we can do a time deck, but we have not done one today, and overall, our times have been pretty damn freaking good, I'd say. Lowest time allowance allowed
2: is 10 seconds. We have only been off a 14-second at the end of a stage,
0: so no reason to take it so we didn't true okay Mr. Nagel this is going to be uh, our final little road diary here from our uh, Norwester rally what do you think?
2: I think you did a good job for your first event you listened to what people had to say we put it into play and uh, like I said earlier you you were pretty quiet yesterday when you didn't know what to expect but uh today you were seeking more and more information
0: so you could uh, put it to use. <laughs> I, I did get a little competitive there for a bit, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like your little zeros, I tell you that. <laughs> you know, you get a taste of one of those things. You want more of them. And, and we did get one more, so yeah. we got three totals. So that's awesome. And yeah. others that counted as a zero because, it's, you know, it's a 0.2 or whatever it was. In class, we ended up with 2nd. But I think what was, to me, the kicker is, you know, and congratulations to Peng Du, and I, I, I missed who his Navigator was. Uh, oh, yeah. But what was amazing is yesterday we had a score of, like, I guess if they adjusted it was, like, 300 and something, and today our score was, like, 130-something, and we were just six points. Off of what Peng was doing today. Yeah. yeah. And they're not novices. No, that's pretty freaking cool.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> we did our job.
2: Yeah, yeah we did. And yeah. we made
0: adjustments on the fly that paid off. You know, what an event! Six hundred two total miles. I didn't realize that that's how much driving we did. Yeah, not counting our uh, commute here and there, um, which we're heading back right now. And so two days, 602 miles. I don't remember how many total competitive miles it was. I think it was about 100 miles each day, something like yeah. that. Pretty darn good time, and I can't wait to get other people maybe to try this sport yeah. out. It's it's a lot more challenge, you'd think, a lot more fun than you'd think. Uh, trying to maintain a certain speed on either twisty tarmac with hairpins. And you never know when one of those darn checkpoints is going to ring through on that rig so you, you just have no clue um, you, you can come up with doing a little time hack stuff to get a better idea of what your pace is provided you did you, your you math right um, so that can be a challenge too, you can mess yourself up if you, yeah. you know, didn't yeah. carry the one or something right? so it, there's all kinds of challenges involved but the fun part of just trying to maintain that speed and dealing with the twisty corners Think beautiful country, awesome roads 100% worth it man thank you yeah. Glad to do it. Let's do it again. And thank you to the organizers, Ron Soren, for coming up with this. He was, he's the one that, uh, him and Jerry and Steve Parrott and uh, Catherine morgenthaler Hansen and Jamie and, oh, man, so many people it takes to put these things on. And, you know, yeah, you don't have to close a road, but you still have to go through a lot of the similar work. And over such a long distance, it's, it's impressive. And... it's so much fun. We need more people doing this for sure. That's it for us. We're signing off. I hope you enjoyed this little taste of, uh, what a TSD weekend is like. Come join the fun. Well, a huge thank you to Ron Sorum and the entire Rainier Auto Sports Club team. Also thank you to Mike Nagel for pushing me into trying my first TSD. I honestly had no idea how much I would like it. It was a ton of fun, challenging, beautiful, the places we got to see. You know, I think I said it in the uh, kind of audio diary. If you're into going on road trips, if you love seeing beautiful surroundings, and you love just driving fun, good roads, this is how you do it. Do one of these touring type of rallies. But that's what made this one a little different. It is a touring rally, different from what what we were talking about, the tricky trappy types of rallies, and I haven't done one of those before, but the idea behind those is more navigation than it is about the driving. Um, They do things, uh, Mike Nagel had told me a story actually as we were driving up about how he did one of these uh, tricky trappies, and it said to turn left at Park. There was Park Street or Park Avenue, and then there was actually a city park farther down. If you chose the right one, you went the right way. If you chose the Park Street, uh, you you went the wrong direction. So, you know, that's the kind of idea behind those. So those are a different kind of challenge, and I'm sure it's still kind of fun, just a, a different type uh, of rallying. It's, re- again, just focusing more on the navigation. Maybe I'll get one of those out there and, and compete in one of those now that I've got one of the touring types under my belt, but I definitely like the touring types. Thank you again to our supporters, Melee Design Firm and Oz Rally Pro. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. And again, please don't speed or be stupid on writing.